Some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got. Friggin' guy. Yeah, guy. David, welcome. It is Wednesday morning, June 13th, 2018, and we're here at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. And uh, yeah, there's a lot going on in the world of surf. There's a lot to talk about, David. I'm, I got a lot. I got a list of things here to discuss. Things pile up after two weeks. I have a question for you, though. Um, I had an intro thing that I wanted to. It's, it's slipping my mind right now. I, I feel so um, pessimistic about how this is going to end. <laughs> no. What can this possibly be? Oh shoot! I forget. My it, wife. It, my wife had this great. Um, this thing we're talking about, I can't even remember it. It was undoubtedly a joke about something. My hygiene or my no. No. my general appearance. <laughs> Must not have been that important. That's what I think. I've got a... Um, wait, wait, I don't wait. know where you want to start with this. I've got a couple of questions. Okay, First good. of all... Um, oh, by the way. Yes. Need essentials. We want to be gracious and grateful and thankful for the support that Rob and his crew and the Need Essentials folks help us with. So Need Essentials wetsuits and gear, clothing, outerwear. Um, I'm a huge fan and you should be too. So go check them out. I am too. That's where obviously my wetsuits come from and booties when it gets cold. Outerwear nice. for the jet for the uh, mountains. But yeah, neatessentials.com. Also just drop them a note like when you order, let them know you heard it here. That just helps complete the circle. And then spyoptic.com also supports this show. Spyoptic.com. Use the promo code podcast and that will directly support this show as well. Scott, who's Charles Webster Bear. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Charles Webster Bear is um, a guy that was sort of, um, how would I say this? On the Surfer Magazine message board, the forums, back in the early days of the internet, frankly, like the year 2000 and on, he sort of was this um, thorn in my side, so to speak. Um, and he was just kind of a troll. <clears throat> On, on the message board that I moderated. And um, he constantly, he was kind of a funny guy. He's a, I, I, I don't really know him, you know, but he would call, occasionally he would call on the phone and he would ask for Evan Slater or one of the editors. And for a while, in fact, I think Evan Slater hired him to do little tour notes. We had this thing in the back of the magazine called like, I don't know, I forget what it's called, like updates or local updates and he would do like a report and he would and he always fashioned himself as sort of a a funny fun loving kind of like deadhead guy but he also has this had this big global internet government thing where he was going to start his own government on the internet and it just i don't know it was just some rabbit hole of of look at me kind of attention grabbing bs did you ever figure out his true identity 
That's not his true identity? Do oh, you, I don't know. No, that's his identity. Charles Webster Barrett. Oh, okay. I thought yeah. he created a fake account no, and point, it was all I think a persona. There, I, I think he can't. I, I might be mistaken on this, but at one point, I think somebody in the office had a restraining order on him because oh they were afraid gosh. he was going to come to the office and cause a problem. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he's kind of a little, little maybe a little off center. Yeah. Um, I hope he's doing well. I hope he's medicating and... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that is the early days of trolling. I haven't trolling. heard that word in a long time. Well, you name. mentioned, you brought it up. It oh, was yeah. on Instagram after our last show. I think we were talking about maybe um, surfing charlatans, you know, JJ Moon. Oh, that's right. And then you, somebody said something and then you responded back. Hey, Google Charles Webster Bear. Did you Google it? I Googled it, but I, there was no definitive answer. It was like a couple mentions here and there. So I figured I would just ask you on air instead. Yeah. So he was just this guy that sort of. Spent most of his time on the Surfer Magazine message boards, just either, you know, just being involved. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, that's early days of trolling. That's what trolls yeah. do nowadays. And they like dedicate full, they have full developed personas. Yeah. Dedicated. That's to. what he did. He would, he would go out of his way to like take over every single topic in the feed would be global right. internet government. And the whole page would be about him and by him and for him and, and of course, a lot of people found him fun-loving and and, yeah. and interesting, and then others would be like, "Scott, please ban this guy," you know. And yeah, the more I banned him, the more he came back stronger. You and can't. That's a yeah, battle you can't no, win. You cannot because they'll just create a new account. And, yeah. Um. So this is going to be a somewhat disturbing detour, but there's a documentary on HBO called Tickled. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this? No. Heard anything about it? No. It sounds freaky already. Yes. It gets weird. It starts off, there's a journalist out of um, uh, the New Zealand, and he does stories on kind of strange subcultures with like devout followings. And through his re- just kind of internet searching, he comes across a competitive tickling ring based out of the US. So he sends him an email and he's like, and he, he watches a few of the videos and it's all athletic mid 20 year old males doing it fully clothed but one guy will be strapped to a bed and there'll be five guys tickling him and he's like laughing uncontrollably so he's watching a few of these videos he sends an email to the organization that runs the competition and is like hey i'm an investigative journalist out of new zealand i would love to interview you guys and learn more about this they send him this scathing email back going We've looked into the previous work you've done. You're a homosexual. We completely disagree with that lifestyle. Um, the U.S. isn't nearly as liberal as New Zealand is. Like, we want nothing to do with you. Don't profile our business. So him as a journalist is like, well, now I'm definitely going <laughs> to dig into this. <laughs> right. If you would have just sent a polite response, I would have gone the other way. But so he digs in. Tons of secrecy surrounding this thing. There's all sorts of smoke screens up. People have signed NDAs, like former tickling competitors have signed NDAs saying they can't talk about it anymore. I'll basically spoil the ending for you. But it turns out it's all one wealthy guy who has a bunch of family money out of, I think, New Jersey, (laughs) who is paying people thousands of dollars to come and be professionally filmed being tickled. He puts out ads for athletic college-age students and um you, you it's a free it's so weird dude it's all strictly this guy with a fetish serving his own fetish but throughout the course of the documentary the filmmakers um chasing leads and you think it's this giant ring of some organized pornography thing that people are like signing their identity away with or something it's actually none of that it's one dude feeding his own fetish uh from his 
condo in New Jersey. What a free. Absolutely bizarre. But created all these fake profiles to do it, you know? So. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, I don't know. Tickled, Scott. Tickled. Check it out. Have you been watching Peaky Blinders at all? Netflix? I watched season one when it first came out, but yeah. I haven't kept up with no, it. No, that's too bad. Are you into it? I just finished season four. It's it's a pretty fun show to watch. I And season one I thought was kind of dark. I remember yeah. we watched it. We're like, God, there's no sunshine in this movie. It was all just so gray and dreary, but it gets better. It gets There's more scenes. It's not quite as okay. gray and fuliginous. Did you... Wow, how's that for a word? Yeah, um, I will look it up. Spell it, fuliginous. You spell it, and then I'll F-U-L-I-G-I-N-O-U-S, look it up. F-U-L-I-G-I-N-O-U-S, fuliginous. F-U-L. F-U-L-I-G-I-N-O-U-S, fuliginous. Do you remember where you learned that word? I did. I learned it from a sixth grader who won the San Diego County Spelling Bee using that word. That's funny. That's where I learned a lot of my, not spelling bees, but like, yeah, somebody who, it's not like that word is used in conversation. It has to be specifically. I just well, you just it. did. Okay. <laughs> you will be using it from now on. Fine. So Peaky Blinders, did you binge the whole four seasons at we once? Did. We did. Yeah. My wife and I kind of binged out pretty hard. Like we probably watched season three and four within two or three, we- two or three weeks. It's the best. Yeah. Remember we used to have to wait a week in between programs, like the Sopranos when that first hit, it was like, you're dying for Sunday night to roll around. Yeah. And then a season ends and you have to wait like six months, eight months for the next season. It was you, terrible. And now you binge them and you forget about them. You're like, yeah. oh yeah. Cause they, cause like season five of Peaky Blinders will come out in 2019. And by then I'll be like, I'm not sure if I, sometimes you lose interest. Just because you just well, forgot or you're into something else. That's or, the thing. There's now 20 new things in between that, that then yeah, and now yeah. that you can watch, you know. Fuliginous, sooty, and dusky is the definition. Yeah. It's a perfect usage, Scott. I know. Nicely done. Thank you. My mom, uh, so this is a true story. My mom sends me a word of the day every single day via text message. Yes. And it's um, always the first letter of the word has to correspond with the first letter of the day of the week. Oh, really? So magnanimous Mondays or... Terrific Tuesdays or whatever, so but today's like Wednesday. she's been doing it for literally, I'd say four years. Yeah. So she's running low on words, but fuliginous she's never used. And that would be perfect for Friday here. Look at this. <laughs> Stenosis Saturday. I had that yesterday. Did you? I had like, what's t- tallest Thursday. I'll look it up. That's like, cool. Don't go through my text Wiseacre messages. Wednesday. You'd think she would have come across Wiseacre years ago, but apparently that one had not been used. And she has a list of everything that's already been used. So, Anyway, I'm gonna Scott. I'm going to come up with one here. I have a... Fuliginous is good. I have a... Uh, how about Winsome Wednesday? Winsome? She's actually used Winsome. This word means charming or attractive in a disarming way. It's pronounced winsome. And it's used to refer to both sexes. Um, did you have an email you were going to read or should we talk about the boardroom pod? Um, yeah, let's talk about the boardroom pod. How's it going? It's pretty good. I mean, this, this last one's the one we did, I guess the two, the one with Dennis Jarvis and the one with Mark Price, which are relative to each other have been pretty good. There's been a lot of discourse about both of them. Obviously there's a lot of passion amongst, uh, the American domestic board builder. And so they're kind of, um, you know, this is. This is something that they're concerned about. And so um, I think they enjoyed listening to Dennis. And they, I think they, they sort of crossed their arms a little bit when they sat down to listen to Mark Price. And um, I've gotten some great feedback. I don't know if you've gotten any feedback. I've only seen positive feedback, actually. Yeah, I tried um, to walk the middle of the road and just kind of explain both sides of this equation. But Do you think that's a fair way to set it up in that um, – 
people are listening to Mark Price with crossed arms? Well, no. I mean, you know, obviously the domestic board builder is. I think some people are also going, hey, the guy's making perfect sense, you know. Um, I think you and I are just um, we're a biased sample because we're in Southern California where the center of epicenter of the board building industry is for the U S you know, for yeah. the most part. Yeah. And so we understand Dennis's plight and we hear about it all the time. But I think for a lot of the people living around the world, that's not necessarily the case. And they have a much more kind of objective view. view. Yeah. And they're thinking like, look, uh, why would you tax somebody strictly for the sake of benefiting your business. One of the things that I heard about, um, I think it was Wavestorm boards at some point, was like they, in their importing of them, were checking a box on the import form that they were qualified as pool toys, that they weren't like recreational toys or or recreational vehicles or something other classification. And so coming into the country as pool toys, was meaning that they were being taxed at a lower rate or something. And again, I don't know any of the details of import-export, but I just remember hearing that at some point, that that was an argument, and that's also why Wavestorms are on the market for $100 each, you know? Yeah. So if um, Dennis was making an argument, something along those lines of like, let's just kind of make sure that things are taxed appropriately, then that would be certainly a fair argument to make. But um I don't know. It was all interesting. It, it illuminated some things that I had not thought about previously. I, I got an email. I got quite a few emails. I got one from a guy named Sam who I'll read. And Sam says, I don't think Mark Price or Dennis Jarvis were totally convincing in their positions. Mark's answers in particular seems to assume that the board retail or the retailer would and should remain at the scale it's currently at. But perhaps part of the answer is to simply have less boards in the shops, highlighting key makers. Do we really need 10 or 15 different thruster models in one-inch increments from 5 feet to 6 feet? Challenging Mark's notion a bit, it'd be awesome if you could get some input from places, meaning me, the Boardroom Podcast, could get some input from places like Mitch's, JP's Surfy Surfy Surf Shop, Mollusk, and Patagonia, all who seem to operate on a slightly smaller and different model but continue to do quite well. Also, input from the factory shaper side from places like Moonlight Christensen, Bing, and Almond would be really interesting. It's my understanding that all these guys both retail in their own shops and export board orders between 10 to 20 boards at a time. It's not at all boutique shapes with fancy glassing. Chris Christensen in particular sends out white poly thrusters all over the world. And that was from Sam. So, um, by the way, I have Chris Christensen lined up to do an interview uh, for the Boardroom Podcast. Probably towards the beginning of, uh, it'll come out the beginning of July. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. Good stuff. Yeah. So, Boardroom Podcast, download it. It's on its own feed. So search in your podcast app, The Boardroom, and you'll find it there. Click subscribe, never miss an episode. Yes, exactly. Um, I've got an email that both you and I received from Fat Aki. Yes, that's a great email. Let's. Can you set that email up a little? I can. Do you want me to just read it? Do what you think is appropriate, my friend. I will read it. Uh, first of all, Fat Aki, he's chimed in a few times. Greatest. Greatest. The greatest name ever, <laughs> totally. right? <laughs> I'm waiting for a rebuttal from Skinny Aki. Or fair to midland Aki, mediocre, <laughs> medium rare Aki. <laughs> when he was winning world titles. Slightly suntanned Aki. Um, 
Fat Aki says, Hola, gents. I agree with your idea that functionally Slater has retired. That said, I view it as possibly the greatest public loss of his entire career. It beats out him crying in the shower after losing to Andy at Pipe by a mile. Kelly's competitive drive knows no bounds and is relentless. From ping pong to poker to golf to pro surfing, his need to be the winner is frankly terrifying. God only knows what sort of childhood trauma he is trying to solve with his addiction to winning. When he no longer was able to win a world title, he upped his competitive arena to some new meta level. He crushed Adriano's world title celebration with the unveiling of Surf Ranch. He sucked every ounce of wind out of what would have been Adriano's glory moment when that first video dropped. He, quote, won without a doubt. The thing is, the Cooley kids have been chafing under his geriatric thumb for two decades. That's my favorite line in the email. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine how many more titles Joel and Mick would have won if Kelly had seen a therapist and made peace with his I must win everything to be loved demons? Mick and Joel have not hidden their annoyance with him, particularly in the recent past. I propose that Mick figured out a way to crush Kelly one last time and nearly permanently. The way Mick retired after the final at Bell's proved without a doubt that he does not need approval from the WSL, his fellow surfers, the surf media, the nation of Australia, or even the world. It was an incredible expression of inner confidence and peace. It reminded me of the Obi-Wan speech from Star Wars. Quote, you can't win, Vader. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Mick beat Kelly at retiring. He crushed him. He walked away at the top of his game, emotionally sober and content, and in doing so, shined a light on the Michael Jordan-like monster at the bottom of Kelly's persona. Watching Kelly on tour for the last four years has been, in retrospect, like watching a junkie do everything he can to chase the dragon that one last time. The manner in which Mick walked away forces us all to see how little dignity there has been for Kelly in his twilight years. Kudos, Mick. You win. Fat Aki. Signed, signed Fat Aki. Drop the mic. Fat Aki with a one-two punch, dude. <laughs> that, that's all Fat Aki has. He runs out of gas after one or two punches. Haymaker. What well, are your thoughts? My thoughts are super well-written and... and um, Funny. And funny and, and actually pretty well put. The one thing that I could say if I was to rebut this is that you could, in fact, claim that Kelly hanging on, so to speak, or still being in the game, so to speak, is because he has skin in the game. I kind of think Kelly doesn't want to be on tour. Like, in a, if Kelly really had his druthers, if he didn't have a business stake in the WSL and in Slater surfboard designs and in the, the Kelly Slater Wave Ranch, he'd be like done and he'd be good with it. Like, I'm not so sure that there's this inner demon Michael Jordan like thing underneath Kelly's persona that's driving him to still have to hang on and to still be in the spotlight. Now, maybe there's a little bit of it, but. I wonder if part of his business dealings are why he's kind of lingering around and still kind of like has to throw out an email that says, yeah, I'm sorry, my foot's still hurt. I do want to do the competitions again soon, but right now I just got to go surf cloud break. Like, so I don't know your thoughts on is part of it because look from a business standpoint, he has responsibilities to his companies, meaning firewire, the WSL, the Kelly Slater wave ranch, to keep himself in the line, to keep himself out there. Whereas Mick can just be like, drop the mic. Guess what? I get to go on surf trips for the next five years for Rip Curl. Unreal. Look for my next edit. 
I think that Kelly would be better able to manage his business interests if he wasn't competing, you know? So I think, I think, uh, it is specifically that inner competitive demon that is driving his desire to compete. And then if it was strictly business for him, it'd be easy to step away from the competitive surfing and focus on the business. I also think that it's hindering the business. It's like, look, if he's going out there and losing and younger, you know, guys are beating him in all conditions, then that's not necessarily a great representation for the face of the business. But Here's my thought on Fat Aki's email. I think that Kelly, this is exactly the one-two punch. This, if Kelly listened to this email on this podcast, this is the one-two punch he needs to call him out of unofficial retirement and back into his 12th world title. He's going, huh, you're right. Mick beat me at retirement. Well, the only way to not lose is to not have retired. I'm coming back with a vengeance. I'm claiming my 12th world title. Then I drop the mic and walk out and I beat Mick. Cause I know Mick can't do that. I know Mick's not coming back after two or three years. No, Mick's so, not coming back. So I'm here. I'm on the precipice of potential retirement, potential staying in the game. And I was only going to just like linger around in the game for a while, but because of fat Aki's email, I'm getting up. I'm going to train. I'm going to hit the gym I'm going to learn how to do full rotation airs, not learn, but Im- improve upon them. <laughs> I'm going to do double full, double rotation airs now. And uh, bang, 12 world titles, 2019. Kelly Slater, world champ. That's interesting. I, I hope that's the case. Um, although, <laughs> well, let me, let, me just, let me just read this sentence one more time because it's really, really good. This is from Fat Aki's email. Mick beat Kelly at retiring. He crushed him. Mick walked away at the top of his game, emotionally sober and content. And in doing so, he shined a light on the Michael Jordan-like monster at the bottom of Kelly's persona. That's a pretty good email. I like the emotionally sober part. You do get the sense that Mick's completely comfortable. Not that Kelly isn't, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it was like, and he did kind of do it the way you want to see it done. You know, you want to see a guy just like walk away on his own terms. Oh, yeah. And by making the final, proving that I'm still at the top of my competitive game. Yeah. And And um, the waves kind of died down in the final. Yeah. It wasn't like it was pumping and he lost on pure surfing. Yeah, an argument. Totally. An argument could be made if it was proper bells, he would have won. Yeah. And I mean, not only uh, finaled in that event, I think he he was second in the world. I remember you saying he wasn't going to, too, by the way. Oh, yeah. I remember you saying, you know what? This is his last event and... I could see him losing in round three and being totally. good with it. And yeah. He kind of proved you wrong, my friend. I'm glad he did. I said that he was going to do really well. Yeah, that's right. Go ahead. Go back to the tape. <laughs> remember. I remember what I said. I don't remember your stance on it. You might, Actually, that might be true. But um, I'm glad that I was wrong because what a great story that was, you know? Well, speaking of Kelly Slater and also the boardroom podcast that went down with Dennis Jarvis and Mark Price... I was talking to a friend about how this whole sort of domestic versus versus imported surfboards discussion reappeared. And we sort of walked it back to, and this is kind of obvious, but I think it speaks to the power of Slater. In other words, Firewire was around doing these types of things. Um, I mean, like the consignment model specifically after the 2008 recession. This is before Kelly was with Firewire. 
really what's sort of driven sort of this angst again is how powerful Kelly Slater is as a marketer. I mean, when Kelly Slater came on with Firewire is when you started to get this, the rumblings of, oh, this isn't good. This isn't good for the American domestic board builders. This is not good. And it really speaks to Kelly's ability to, to market his product. Like anything Kelly puts his name on reg regarding surfboards, you know, it hurt Channel Islands. It's helping Firewire. And I think that that's part, I think the, in the, if you really boil it down, Kelly's selling surfboards. I think um, absolutely that is true. That's not even, I mean, social influencers, right? I mean, that's what today is all about. And he is not only got 2 million Instagram followers to influence, but such a pedigree behind him, you know, and um, I mean, absolutely would, when he speaks, you want to listen. Would, would Shane Dorian's son be riding a little Firewire Kelly Slater board if it wasn't for Kelly Slater? Or would Just Shane, a straight Firewire, not Kelly or Slater. Or would he be riding a a carper or a jade, you know, like yeah, whatever Dorian was carper, riding. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, undoubtedly, the guy has influence. I see here that surfing is now the official state sport of California. Also, thanks to your buddy, Dennis. Right. Did Dang. you see this? Yeah. Is this true? Has there been an official proclamation by the state government about I know, this? I know he's been campaigning for that well, for some time. He sent out an Instagram. Did you yeah. see the Instagram? I saw it. I did not dig in any deeper to um, verify it. I assume if he said it, it is true because I know that he has been working like with local government to um, change legislation to get it approved. This is June 4th, last week. And it says California is in the process of declaring surfing as its official state sport. The California State Assembly passed the Surf's Up bill last month, 62 to 4. It now goes to the state Senate, and it did pass there yesterday. And so now the next step is for it to go to the governor's desk for signature. These are heady times for surfing. It will make its Olympic debut in Tokyo in 2020. But as a quarter century California resident at this very moment, I am perched on the exit 49B southbound ramp 405, just a scant five miles from the Pacific Ocean to shout out. If you want to hang 10, do it on your own time and not on the state dime. <laughs> this is obviously an op-ed piece I'm reading here. The true heritage of our state is the nail salon, mini mart and tie carry at laundromat strip mall. But indeed, skateboarding originated in California and far more Californians skateboard than surf. So I think this is a call for skateboarding to be the, the official sport of California, not Was skateboarding surfing. campaigning for it before Dennis started campaigning for surfing? I don't think so. <laughs> they just jumped on. But this guy's saying, hey, look, Hawaii's should the state's sport should be the state of Hawaii. Uh, well, yeah. Okay, there. You can make an argument for that. I think it probably is. Does, I mean, if Hawaii, if surfing wasn't the state sport of Hawaii, what would it possibly be? I don't know. Sailing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so anyway, they're, apparently this is just one signature away from becoming a official state proclamation. That, And I'm surprised that there isn't already an official state sport. That's what I was kind of looking up. Like, did, they, did it take the place of something? Who even knew that there was official state sports, period? There's, every, there's official Why? trees. There's official flowers. Why, though? You know what I mean? Like, Because it's good for business. Yeah, I guess so. That's, I mean, you know. It's good for um, the tree business and the flower business. <laughs> um, did you watch any of the WCT events in Bali, Scott Bass? 
Yes. I thought it was pretty awesome. Did you? Yeah. Uh, let's start with Karamas. Uh, go ahead. Most, I think the surfing and the judging was at an all time high. The surfing was unbelievable. Like heat after heat. What are you laughing at? <laughs> I'm looking at the California. I'm looking at the state sports. Okay. I looked it up on. So do you know what Colorado's state sport is? I'm going to guess skiing. You're never going to guess. High lie. Pack borough racing. No State way. of Colorado. Pack borough racing. They must be stacking a lot of weed on those donkeys. Because that's and then a racing stone. them though. Pack borough racing. So Hawaii is surfing. Okay, it's, and the uh, that's the individual sport. Yeah, but you the can't, state team sport is outrigger canoe paddling. That makes sense. But here's the deal: you can have one sport be the uh, state sport for multiple states. Right. Exactly. It's not like they got surfing. Now we have to pick something else. The state sport for Maryland jousting. Lame. This is just like somebody got somebody took some legislator out to lunch and just went, "Hey, yeah. by the way." Do you, you think like- you could make jousting the state sport? It won't be hard. Here's what you do. Just push it through the lead and it'll just like slide underneath everyone. No one will even notice it. How do you feel about burrows? And how do you feel about racing? Now, it's easy to guess what North Carolina's state sport is. Mm, NASCAR. Stock car racing. Exactly. Nice. All the other ones are pretty obvious. Um, Karamas. Yes. So, honestly... At first, we thought it was kind of a. I thought it was kind of a lame spot because of the onshore wind. Yeah. Well, I was I, of, I was on board with you because and then I sort of changed my tune as I went too. through the heat. Me as too. I went through the event. So when it when you run an when event, when it got glassy, I was kind of okay with. No, it. no. So I thought it got when, smaller too. When you run an event um, and it runs all day, eight to ten hours, you and I basically just sit glued to the screen trying to work on the side and stuff. Which I'm accustomed to that. And because it wasn't doing that at Bali, it was just running for three to four hours a day. I was dismayed at first. After three or four days, I realized it is way better. It's I am much more productive. It's better for my lifestyle. And it actually stretches it out over the course of the week, which I thought was a bad thing, except I got really into it. It was like, oh, Monday for three hours from in the afternoon as well. I'll watch this for three hours. It's still light outside by the time this ends, so I can go grab a surf or something. And um, stretching it out over the course of the week was also kind of enjoyable. Additionally, the surfing was remarkable. Like every heat was highly competitive and guys were absolutely shredding and the women were shredding too. So I thought I thought it was a highly enjoyable. I thought like if you could uh, blueprint an event and for what you want to have happen throughout the course of the year at every venue, that was what you would have wanted. Well, we'd certainly changed our tune, didn't we? That's that's interesting. I'm a malleable human being, Scott. Right. Good. Um, the other thing I thought was really impressive was the judging. I thought the judging was tack sharp. Like I knew I'd watch a wave, see somebody do something, and kind of be able to pick the score or guess the score before the judges dropped it and certainly guess whether it was better than their competitor's score or not. Um, so it was kind of a nice refreshing change of pace compared to the old days where it's like you think a guy got a five and the judges drop an eight you know well of course the big the big story is idolo for ferrera who won the event and did so with the craziest friggin cleanest air in the semifinals against jordy smith where i think he got a 10 Mm -hmm. and it was just so flawless and 
I think Chaz Smith and you, maybe you guys talk about this on the grit and you and I have talked about this too. I believe that he's such a likable Brazilian. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like look, Gabe's kind of not likable because he's just kind of a dick really. Right. And he kind of comes off as a little bit aloof. Yeah. And for whatever reason, Idolo combines the likability of Adriano with the, with the ability of Gabe Medina in one package, and he is Italo Ferrara. And his name sounds Italian, <laughs> so yeah. you kind of forget that he's Brazilian. Italian Ferrari. But, uh, God, he surfed insane, and that that 10 he got where he – not only – he did it all, like because he did yes, the he incredible – and then he went switch foot on the very end and did a little – no, he did like a pop shove it or something yeah. at the – I mean, it well, was an incredible aerial. It was the kind of aerial that we've all been want, and they've been done in the past. The guys have done aerials, Felipe, and these guys have done aerials. But he did it on the very first turn, and it was an incredible backside. I don't even, I can't, I can't speak aerial vernacular. I don't know exactly what it was, but he landed it with speed in the transition with flow and kept on moving through it. Like there was no, there wasn't really even a half a second of, oh, I got to get my shit together to continue this wave. No, I think. What a lot of people overlooked because of the few, you know, impressive aerials that took place in the event is how good of a power surfer he is. He is stocky, stout, Aki-esque power keg. And so he does those crazy airs like Felipe that are elastic and um, require tremendous like flexibility and being nimble and speed crazy rotations but then lands and then goes straight into like a deep bottom turn and just a blow twice crazy and he did it back to back after that aerial yeah and there were two just big and and it's like it's power but it's not like wilco i'm i don't know i'm trying to think of an example no you're right wilco's a little sticky i mean i hate to say no i know what you mean though there's there's guys that like not of zap in idolo's turn it's a punch it's um there's guys that slide through the lip you know and they're getting free on every turn he'll do that occasionally but his are more just like a punch to the lip that he's actually getting the fins out on but he sticks to the wave more it's like he's demolishing the lip he's just blowing it to pieces not really like sliding through it there's a there's a controlled slide but it's just an obliteration of the lip because he's so stocky and powerful you know so that combination of power and freestyle progression, I don't know that we've really ever seen before. We've seen Koloe uh, develop into his power, and we've seen Felipe also develop into his power by spending time in the gym, kind of getting a little heavier over the years. But Felipe almost feels like he came the opposite way. It was like he came from that Aki. I'm sorry, Idolo. Yeah. Came from that Aki power grounded, thick legged base. And then added on the free style game, you know? Yeah. It's really impressive. You're right. His turns are powerful. They have, it's kind of the best of both worlds. He's it got, is. he's got the best of both worlds. And then he's like, he's got quick zap. He's got a real flair, but the power came first. And then you said likability. Yeah, he's a likable guy. So here's, I'm trying to figure out why he's likable because. Felipe is equally Felipe gregarious, likable, likable, positive, positive. He's not negative. No. Um, so why are we crowning Idolo as 
the guy. You know what I mean? Like, is it that there those guys it's not that, that came before him bust more, down the door? He's not more likable than Felipe. It's that he he put, combines the surfing of Felipe and Gabe and is likable. Yeah. Whereas we've got Felipe, super red hot, it's hard. high performance and likable, but, okay. but lacking a little bit of power. And you kind of get the feeling like if it's 10 foot Chopu, Felipe's out of the picture right. where Elo's going to be frothing. He'll be hitting the lip. Yeah. So that's what I mean. Like he's the best. He's like got it all. He's kind of the complete package. Yeah. And he's got an Italian name. Italian Ferrari. So, so he's not, he's really not Brazilian. <laughs> You're so anti-Brazil, dude. I'm pro-United States. Is that so no, wrong? No, that sounded like... No, you said it'd be better if he was Italian than Brazilian. That's what you said, <laughs> which is not anti-United States. Let the States. emails begin. Bring it. <laughs> I, um, I love Felipe. I love Adriano. I love Italo. I think they're great for surfing. Um, Jordi Michel. And I love to hate Gabe. That's He's fun to we hate. All do. We all do. Dirty Gabe, by the way. Dirty Gabe, thank um, you. The so I think power surfing kind of got overshadowed in this event because when you look at the highest scores throughout the event, it was Michelle Berez, it was certainly Idolo, it was Jordy Smith, and they were Jordy would do airs occasionally, but it was really all about power. Like it's interesting to see as the judging criteria has incorporated progressive sur- surfing, they're still really honoring Michelle Berez laying down two massive hacks, giving it an eight five. Yeah. It's a good point. I'm watching Jordy right now in this heat with Idolo, and um, I just think Jordy will never win a world title. He, he, his time was two or three years ago when he didn't care, and it's. And I'm going to disagree with that. I just don't think he's going to win a world title. He's just got. I mean, he just looks deflated after that ten. That's true, but and he you can't be deflated. You and I'm not saying he didn't try. But I'm watching, you know, I don't know. But you're right. That's exactly it. Him not trying. You look at his surfing. He's so freakishly talented. He does those crazy airs and big turns looking relaxed. Idolo doesn't ever look like his foot isn't on the gas pedal full throttle. And I think that translates to the judges and to the viewing audience. We get excited when we see that. So what we want to see is Jordy try. I think mentally he needs to kind of relinquish the trying to surf his best. But he needs to somehow look like he's putting the gas pedal to the floor, which I think he'll do at J-Bay. He surfs that way at J-Bay. Yeah, he he could win J-Bay. I'm not saying that. I I don't see a world title in Jordy Smith's future. What about the real question is Julian Wilson now. It's a Julian, Idolo, Felipe race at this point. Yeah. um, Refresh my memory because I'm just focused here on Karamas. Let me go to... Well, Julian, after making the final at Uluwatu... Yeah. Leaves Bali in first place. Did Julian win Ulu? No. Um, William Cardoso. Oh, that's right. Wow, that's so cool, too. Because I had him on my fantasy team. Did that's you really? why it's cool. <laughs> because the fantasy team stuck from Margaret's, right? right. You couldn't change it going no, into I didn't Ulu's. change it to Karamas either. I think I oh, left it okay. the same. Yeah, so Julian Wilson's in first. Felipe's in second. Idolo's in third right now. And it's all within. Everybody's within shooting distance. It, say those three again, please. Julian, Philippe, Idolo. Cool. How so cool the is question, that? So the question, though, is you're talking Here's, about Jordy now, being past his prime. Well, now it's what a about Julian? What about Julian? It's all mental from here on. This is like this is like you're standing over a four foot putt that you could make all day long with your buddy at a uh, on you know in the evening in the summer at some municipal golf course. But now we've got a four foot putt with the entire world looking over you because they all can rip the remaining spots. All three, although Felipe maybe not at Chopu. If and Chopu's Pipe. 
Uh, yeah, Chopu and Pipe, but Julian and Idolo. So I see Felipe out of the picture. This is going to come down to who's in fourth place. Do you know? Do you have points on fourth? Gabriel. Place? Ooh. Okay. So what's going to happen is Felipe is going to get pushed out of the equation, and it's going to be between those three. And where's Jordy? Eighth. Okay. Who's number five? William. Okay, he's out of it. Too. Yeah, he's out. So it's going to be between Gabriel, Julian Wilson, and Italo. And so who's got the mental capacity to make the four-foot putt? Who can handle the pressure, the Gabriel. overarching pressure? Gabriel. For sure. I think you got to think Gabe's going to come from behind. He's already been there. He knows how to play this game. The pressure is more on Julian than anyone. Julian but, has botched that four-foot putt nine times out of ten. Oh, man, I think you're right. So he's got the big monkey on the back. And that monkey gets bigger each year. And it's it gets, now a gorilla. It every day. It's a gorilla. It's a gorilla. It's an orangutan. Yeah, it's, it's like, an ape. It's not it's even a monkey. It's two monkeys. It's like the Gabe monkey and the Edla monkey on each of Julian Wilson's shoulders staring him down. We now have a graphic for the podcast. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> have your, Work your magic. We need King Julian Kong. with a, a – could you make a gorilla with – Gabe and Idolo's face on it on his shoulder. Would that be concerned? Race veering towards racism. That's what I thought. That's too bad because it's such a good graphic. It makes well then just put two gorillas on on his shoulders. Okay. shoulders. Okay. We will not name the gorilla. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Although we just did. But it has nothing um, to do with race. It has the pressure of those two guys staring him down. That cliche came you. long before this conversation about a monkey on the back. So it has nothing to do with. Thank you. Yes. Just keep it with monkeys. Yes. But I, I, yeah. So, so Gabe's the obvious winner of the world title. Except he's he's seven thousand points behind. That's the problem right oh, now. But that's he's been. Quite a but lot. he always breaks late. He always does well in the back half of the season. So he will make a comeback. But Julian, I think um, this is the first time we've ever seen. This is the best Julian's ever done at this point in the season. Yeah, and. He came into the season, let's not forget, with a broken collarbone, anticipating not surfing Snapper well, so he quietly, the day before. He Snapper. quietly got to where he's at. Yeah. But now that there's no more quiet. Right. Now we're like, True. oh, Julian's True. back in it. Who knew? True. And so I kind of feel like, you know, it's not like everyone goes, oh, this is Julian's year. Like yeah. we've done in last year. Right. I think we were thinking yeah, yeah, this yeah. is Julian's year. So it's going to be fun to see how he handles the pressure. That's the story the WSL needs to excavate on air during their broadcasts. Which These are the types of things that they don't say that they need to say. That will only add pressure too. If they start creating this well, storyline and That's profile pieces, Julian's going to get well, so... that is the story, right? Now, Martin Potter will do that. There's some that won't go there though, yeah. but... Um, and Barton Lynch, I think, will do that. By the way, Julian did say, going into Ulu, leaving Karamas, yes. he did say he was glad to not be wearing, wearing the yellow jersey. Oh, that's that's lame. He's like, oh, dude, it's way better not wearing well, the yellow course, jersey. Well, of course, if you can't handle the pressure, it is. And now he's got it on his back again because <laughs> he made the final. <laughs> that is horrific. Side note, let's talk about Ulu real quick. Yeah. Um, or starting at Karamas, Strider has now become my favorite commentator. They kept Strider in the water for the last few years, which, yeah. by the way, I'll be the first to admit, roll the tape from four years ago. I was anti-Strider. Yeah. I was like, dude, this guy's so broed out. He can't string together a sentence. Yeah. He would stumble over his words. Yeah. He is now my favorite. He's done 
the biggest progression in terms of um, improving and he yeah. is sharp and I'm, he's actually very, very sharp. I think he always was, yeah. but the camera made him um, uncomfortable. Yeah. He's always been very, very funny. I, I feel like the strider that we're seeing now on camera and on the mic, especially in the booth, not in the water, but in the booth is as comfortable as I'd imagine him being in person. This is the strider you get when you go hang out at dinner with him. Funny, sharp, you know, definitely educated about surfing. Like he's an oh, expert yeah. in the space. Oh, yeah. So I'm glad that he's pushed through that learning curve and we're seeing it now. And I was glad to see him in the booth calling heats. He killed it. So glad to have strider. Barton Lynch also filled in for um, maybe Martin Potter at Karamas. Barton was awesome. Martin always refers to the board, to the bottom uh, part of the surfboard as the bottom deck. (laughs) (laughs) A listener pointed that out to me. I'm like, no, I can't not hear it. The bottom deck of the surfboard. No, no, no. There's a top. There's only one deck of the surfboard. Um, So anyways, Barton Lynch is a great addition to the commentary team as well. So Uluwatu, how precarious is that deck that everybody sits on it's overhanging so the, lift, the cliff? Yeah, there's have, numerous decks like that too. It's have, not the only one. Have you been there? Yeah, I've been there. I surfed Ulu. It's killer. I surfed it with my son. It's so bitching. It's such a neat walking down that cave. Is just it's sort of a. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like going to. Jerusalem and it's as a surfer you have to go to the cave you have to walk that walk and go down through the cave and paddle out of Uluwatu it's you know what I mean it's sort of like that's where Jim Banks and and Peter McCabe and Jerry Lopez like that was kind of you know in 1973 that was the shit you know like that was like oh my god and so it's to me it's like something you have to do it's kind of a, a rite of passage if you will totally yeah and I hope everyone does get the chance to do it. It's such a neat place and such a fun wave. And it's a pretty easy wave. Yeah. There's harder waves out there. But, um, of course, when it gets huge, it's a different story out, out the top. But um. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free that's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free terms and conditions apply cool wave and and i think probably should be on tour it should be a spot a stop on tour 
I mean, we need a left with with the absence of cloud break. We're especially feeling it, and I know cloud break is a much much better wave and um, certainly more threatening and challenging. You can't have a legitimate world tour without cloud break. First of all, let's just I, yeah, say I that. agree with like, that. Like, don't you, you can't be the WSL without cloud break. That is, it, yeah. it's stupid. It, I think they'll like, sort it out. Yeah, they need to. If of they course. don't, if they're not trying to figure it out, then they're they're doing something horribly wrong. I think they'll figure it out. The thing about cloud break is um, it gets rippable, right? So when it's smaller, you can actually we'll get to see all these surfers on tour doing turns. Whereas at but if it's giant, it's a little bit of a different story. Ulu, it's a rippable left. And I think when it gets big, obviously you get barreled, but you're definitely going to see people ripping on the left at Ulu. So I, I liked that addition to it. It was a change of pace, you know? I mean, how often do you get to see um, any of those guys go <laughs> ripping on a left? I mean, occasionally they'll go left at a beach break in France or Portugal or maybe lowers, but it was a it was a fresh take for a lot of their surfing. Um, William Gardoso, by the way, I am. I was so rooting for. Yeah, I agree. In Karamas too. too. In Karamas, he like found his kind of comfort spot. He was bogging a bit. Like the problem was, he makes a lot of mistakes. He reminds me of Silvana Lima on the women's side, (laughs) where it's like she's such a good surfer when she connects, but she freaking falls all the time, and then she'll bog on a bottom turn, where most people would then quit. And she'll recover and then like surf a wave good. And I'm like, well, if you could just fix that that kink in your giddy up. They think too much. Maybe. And Silvana so- Cardoso, is that our new nickname? <laughs> should we just call him Silvana when he's on a wave? We should. <laughs> or should we call her her We'll do them both. Will- Willen? We'll do them both. Willen Lima. Willen up and right. Look so, at her him go. Um <laughs> so yes. when so Cardoso in Bali or in uh, Karamas, he would like triple check off the bottom, bog a rail. But when he connected, you're like, oh my gosh, that was insane. Once he got to Ulu's, it was seamless. It was like backside smash into bottom turn into smash into bottom turn. I think because the wave's so fast, it doesn't allow him time to think. It seems like when he has time, when the wave's slow enough for him to go, okay, right here, I need to do this. That's when he bogs. But when he's just in flow mode, Everything kind of syncs up, like all of us, really. When you, you know, when you're not thinking, you're in a good place. And yeah, I think that in most sporting endeavors, that's that's a good thing. I agree, and it'll be interesting to see if he could come from behind to be the rookie of the year after like all of the highlights coming off of Griff, Michael Rodriguez. Wow, I don't even consider him a rookie. That's funny that you say that. I never even thought of him as a rookie. He is, and he's in fifth place right now. He jumped eleven spots. Well, then he. I mean, it kind of just go. You kind of just give it to the guy who leads. Yeah, after you do. The Season's over. Yeah. So yeah, I. He's he's dangerous because uh, you don't expect him to do well, and he does well. Like he puts it together competitively. Like so, he has a plan. He goes out. He executes. He's not intimidated by anyone. He's just such a large man. You know, he can probably growl at you know a couple of those guys and anybody. Then, like Michael February just goes, "Uh oh, I'm I'm done." <laughs> Except he doesn't. Like everybody who's said anything he's about him nice says guy. he's the nicest guy in the world. Now here's what. I'm going to pat myself on the back, even though yes, uh, I don't do. quite deserve it. No, well, what? I'm going to tie it all together to make this a back pat. At the beginning of the season, I, we were like trying to look at the rookie lineup, picking favorites. Everybody's saying Griff. Griff's got all the hype. He's got everything going for him. And I go, no, no, no. It's going to be all about Wade Carmichael because nobody's looking at him. And because we've seen 
Jack Freestone, Ethan Ewing, all these highly touted juniors, world junior champions come onto the CT and not be able to figure it out. And that's because there's only an element of it that is talent. And there's only an element of it that is competitive prowess. The third element is grit. This undying. Don't use that word on why? this show. Oh, oh. <laughs> I think there's Solid. A, actually I think there's a better term, but go I don't think grit is the right it's word. It's a it's a it's, it's a, a mental toughness. Maybe that's grit. I don't know. But I think it's an it's undying yes, it's an unwavering desire to smash everybody. And that only comes from hard fought, like character building life experience. Right. And if you have a big sponsor contract right. and everybody flies you everywhere and you Jordy. get to Pinpoint Jordy? swells, Jordy, Jordy, Julian, all of them. So that will hinder you in the long Absolutely. run. When it comes to grinding through heats, those guys, they can surf great. They're technically yeah, sound. All of them surf great. And, you, a, and they'll even win an event here and there. But to yes. grind through an entire season, right. you need this steely determination. And unfortunately, lots of these guys um, who have that steely determination don't quite have the talent level of the Griffin Colapintos and the Ethan Ewings. Right. So that's where they end up faltering. Yeah. So I put my money on Wade going, well, Wade is the guy I think has the talent and all these things, but it turns out I could have just been slightly off center and it was standing right behind him and still shadowing him is William Cardoso. Yeah. Throwing the haymakers. Maybe, maybe, you know, um, certainly Wade surfed great in Brazil. Um, and then in the final, he just went up against an unstoppable Philippe Toledo. But Wait. but yeah, Willem, for sure, I you know, Willem's kind of like Adriano. He's kind of ugly. Like, you don't want to surf like him. He's just a more powerful Adriano. Yeah. But they both have that blue collar. I'm going to get through this heat no matter what because I've been grinding on the QS. I'm 26 years old and I'm a rookie. On t- like, how old is Willem Cardoso? He's got to yeah. be 27 or 20. Yeah, no. It seems like he's old. He's been around forever, and he's just grinding the tour. He's a QS grinder, and occasionally he gets a spot in a CT, and you see him in Hawaii at the Holly. You know, you, you feel like he's been around forever. He's 32. <laughs> oh, my God. See what I mean? He's a rookie on tour. He's 32 years old. That's- Which is retirement age. Five, ten years Mick ago. Mick Fanning just retired yeah. at 32. Yeah. Didn't he? 35. Yes, whatever. Same difference. I mean, so He's got gray hair. He's a gray-haired rookie. The other great story is that he was going to quit. Like, going into Hawaii, he knew this, this was that last year was his final season. Yeah. And he ended up qualifying, obviously. Um, so it's a great story. Very likable character. Unbelievable surfer. I would argue there's only three people on tour who can match his power. Jordy Smith, Michelle Perez, and Idolo. And that's it. Otherwise, hmm. he he dominates the power game. What about? Did you say Michelle? Yeah, Michelle, Jordi, and Idola. What about Adriano? No, no. Adriano's not as powerful as William at all. Matching his power. Yeah. Um. What about Mikey Wright? No, no not even close. Mikey's Owen? Mikey's rad. No. Okay. There's a finesse power. to pure, those guys, yeah, but pure power. Okay. The, the, a lot of those guys' power comes from timing. Right. You know. Is Whereas you, William's gonna hit an oncoming section, regardless of how big it is. Those guys are going to time it. Right. Um, So I'm interested to see him in J-Bay. J-Bay is going to be a phenomenal event, by the way. Uh, I mean, the thing about Willen is I, I just, I just generally don't, I just don't want to see him in heats. Like I'm not excited to see him in heats. I'm like, Oh God, aren't you more excited now based on his performance in Bali? I'm just stoked for him personally more than anything. I, I, I would rather see, you know, especially later on into the event, you know, from the quarters on, I want to see, 
the best in the world. And frankly, I don't put him in the top 20. I just put him in the top four in terms of power, though. Well, so yeah. he's the best in the world in regard to power. So no, if he can no, suss not the out. the best in the world. He's the best on tour. Best in, in the world. In, in regards to power. But there's. Best powerful surfer in the world. Really? <laughs> I'm just messing I up. would put, I would to this day put Poncho <laughs> Sullivan there. Even though Poncho's William, probably 38 or whatever. William will power through Poncho like a fire hose. It'll sh- no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Um, by the way, the angle at Ulu sucks. The angle of the camera on the cliff tracking the surfer I'm down the line right now. completely flattens the wave. And also... Kind of all they can do, though. I know. I know. No, I'm not... I understand the limitations. I'm just saying from a viewing standpoint, it's not ideal. It, they w- it, it would help them if they could build a platform down there, which they could do. The the other it's thing is slightly above you know the beach level, so yeah. You can see over the white water, right? Exactly. The um, it zaps all the drama from the wave. You know, it just nothing looks it critical. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't do the wave justice. You're right. It doesn't allow us to really understand the wave. Yeah, and it gets all it because they the set the camera on the horizon line to look level. Once they track down that far down the line it gets all at an angle. The surfer is like surfing up the screen, up your computer screen, you know, at an angle. Um, at any rate, whatever. It was a great event. Great event. Great. Congratulations. By the way, two underdogs, Joanne DeFay on the women's side and William Cardoso. Um, did you see there was the quarterfinal or the semifinal heat between Chloe and Julian? I just watched it. Julian won by one, one point. Yeah. FCS posted an Instagram um, showing some of Julian. Yeah, and Matt Biolas from Mayhem chimed in and goes, Chloe got robbed. That was blatant, bullshit. Blatant ripoff is blatant what he ripoff, said. Yeah. And then Julian replied back to Biolas with like two lines of laughing face emojis. Yeah. Who do you think won that heat? Did you watch it? I just watched it. Again. Critically though? Did you kind of assess it? Um, no, but I remember watching it and I don't remember thinking there was a situation there. I, I thought that Julian got the score he deserved. Totally. He did a backside blowout thinner. It was massive. At the, on the end section. Like, no, but on his first turn. His oh, first on turn was a massive straight up thin blowout. Oh, okay. Then he went around a section. He had to do t- two kind of like catch up okay. check turns. Then he did another crank and then he did that at the end section and then raised his mm-hmm. hands. He needed a score. There he was like three minutes left. He needed a seven three seven. He got an eight five. Right, it deserved it. Like I, I rewatched that heat after Biolis wrote that, and I was like, dude, that's not, not a, that's not a ripoff at all. Julian won the heat, but I love that Julian chimed in. Yeah, you know, re- responded to Mayhem, which I'm sure they're friends. Uh, by the way, John John Florence is out with injury as well. Yeah, it's funny. Um... I think Surfline, I think Marcus Sanders wrote a thing which made a lot of sense that the three storylines were John John's sort of drop from tour, um, the whole Margaret River shark fiasco, and then Kelly Slater's foot. Those are like the three storylines for the year, like if you were to track trajectories of storylines. And it's a pretty good take. And John John's just kind of like, like he's not even on my radar right now. Yeah. We haven't even talked about him. And we've been talking world Well, we've title. been talking about how disappointing his performances have well, been. Well, I mean, today. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, I think it's it's not fortunate that he got injured, but it's easy to overlook his failures of the beginning of the year now that he is injured. Because when you look at 2018 as a whole, you'll be like, John John won 
Now 18, oh, he got injured in 18. That's why he didn't win in 18. Well, no, no, no. Before he got injured, he already had lost out of the title race, essentially. Um, So it's kind of convenient. The other thing is coming back from injury, oftentimes you see a surge in somebody's performance level because during the rehab, they get mentally tough. We've seen it with Lakey Peterson this year. Um, Certainly we've seen it with Julian Wilson this year. So I think that John John will kind of reset in this town time and any little lingering nagging injuries that he's had up until this will also heal up. And I think he'll come back really strong. I don't know when that'll be, but what else is rad is that they have footage of people getting injured nowadays. It used to be somebody would get injured and you just, you hear about it. Now it's like, here's the footage. Here's him coming down from the air exactly when it happened. It's interesting to be able to analyze all that stuff. I'm just reading this beach grit thing about cocaine and surfing. What is it? So Chaz Smith, your co-host on The Grit, wrote a new book. By the way, which I bought in advance, and I was supposed to receive it on the 11th. I still haven't received the book from Amazon. I did the same thing. They said it's being delivered tomorrow. And it's called Cocaine Surfing. And Daniel Duane wrote a review for the book in Outside Magazine. And (laughs) Daniel Duane wrote, it makes for a catchy title and a smattering of salacious anecdotes, but it's a stupid idea for a book. It's an even stupider idea for a book conceived in the way that Chaz Smith initially, although not ultimately conceived of it, as to quote his equally catchy subtitle, A Sorted History of Surfing, Surfing's Greatest Love Affair. I, I don't know. I'm looking forward to the book. No, it's a I've positive s- review. You got to read more. Oh, really? Yeah. No, it's, a, it's actually a glowing review. Despite this... Horribly misguided premise, or rather because of it, Cocaine and Surfing is a dazzling page-turner, highly recommended beach reading, and absolutely the funniest book ever. Re- oh, okay, cool. Well, I'm glad because I'm looking forward to reading it, but I did read a negative review from uh, – that you guys talked about, I think. Rory. From, yeah, from Rory. Was that just because they hate each other or something? Yeah. Well, I mean, it could be a sincere review by Rory as well, but they do dislike each other. So do you think – I guess my question to you is – you and I both know that there was some talk about a pro surfer who shall remain nameless for for the sake of we don't want to get into slander that was um, basically using cocaine and then had an injury and blamed the because of the cocaine use, but blamed the injury on something else. And that part of the story, do you think that part of the story gets excavated? No. Because I remember when Chaz was researching that story, he could not. No um, one would speak to him. Nobody would speak to him and therefore couldn't get enough facts to get it cleared by legal. Or Yeah. So he's afraid of the slander blasphemy thing as yeah. you and I liable. Yeah. As we yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's all rumor anyways. It's like even rumor. Yeah. Even the your information is, about that the, is. Why wouldn't the powers that be talk to Chaz about it if it doesn't? If it's not true, why not put it to bed rather than now you and I are like, hmm, Mm, I, I don't think it's worth addressing. I mean, if something is so far out, you don't even address it. Yeah, maybe you're right. I mean, if some guy starts arguing online with us about the sky is red, like I'm not even going to address it. It's like, no, the sky is blue, period. You know, not even worth discussing. So, um, oh, I'll continue if you don't mind. Sure. This is Derek Riley wrote this. But this is Daniel Duane saying, in the same spirit of some other books, 
Cocaine and Surfing is a book about a self-loathing surf journalist getting the seemingly brilliant idea to write a book about cocaine and surfing, hitting the road for research in various corners of the surf industry, and discovering that it's actually a stupid idea and wondering how this once promising life came to such a sad pass. Uh, uh, the surprising joy of this book, and it really is a joy, has nothing whatsoever to do with cocaine. It lies entirely in Smith's brilliant skewering of surf culture, the surf industry, and his own complicity in both, and the frailty of the human ego. Oh, well, that sounds interesting. I'm interested in that, because that's something that I sort of dwell on all the time. How, how sort of false all of this stuff that we stand on is. It's just like, I, I don't even know if there is a surf culture, you know, like... What is it all about? Yeah. It's just such a self-centered bro down. It's it's just stupid. And but one of the interesting things that I know that the guy who wrote for Outside Magazine the Andy Irons story, um, Brad Malekian, believe me, when he was writing that story, he ran into all sorts of of uh, industry doors slamming in his face when he was just trying to get to the truth, you know. And um and I think that's sort of what happened to Chaz in this case. Like it just people people are so protective of this little, you know, selling their latest board short. And if that's what our culture is, if that's what we're protecting, like if we're if we're if we have to protect that instead of illuminating light, then we don't have a really legitimate or valid culture. We're just we're just a commercial thing. We're just a commercial entity masquerading yeah. as a legitimate culture. I think there's two things happening. Um, because it is a small insular industry, you are actually friends with a lot of the people. And then there is certainly um, the business side that needs to see growth or just has a desire to grow. So my question to you is if you had a loss of a loved one uh, due to something like drug addiction or even bipolarity, right? And Chaz wanted to come to you to get your um, thoughts on that person's death. Would you trust Chaz to tell your story accurately? Uh, yeah, no, I you, you know what? I, to I totally get it. You I mean, want it? I'm saying if Chaz, you're like a family member, and a, one of your family members just died, and you're not sure what's going on, and was there drugs involved, or what? All of that stuff, you're probably your first thing is like, you know what? Give me a couple months to just digest all this, and I think. I think Brad gets the family doing that, but it's when the industry heavy hitters that are sponsoring uh, Andy, when they're going, oh, uh, he died of dengue fever. <laughs> like when well, they're just putting out blatant lies. Obfuscate, yeah, like blatant lies is definitely, you shouldn't be doing that. What I'm saying is those people, you're calling them industry heavy hitters, but they're friends of Andy firstly. Like and they well, that's questionable well, too. Well, okay, I mean, that's friends, a good point. That's a good point. How you define <laughs> letting somebody live in their addiction? I think they're you know in some ways. It, but they would they would I call themselves. I can't say that they're not friends. I'm not, I'm just saying. Look, some of the actions or or actions that didn't take place would suggest that that there was business issues that overrode the friendship. Mm. Yeah. I, I think they would view themselves as friends and Andy would have called them friends. Yes. And therefore you get into this muddy water. Um, so I understand a not wanting to, but I think that's also why with the film people have spoken out because they recognize this is an important story that needs to be shared. I am doing a disservice by not conveying how these inner workings of these things. 
I, take place. I, I don't. I haven't seen the film. Maybe Nor have can, I. No. I wonder. See, because my thing is, does the Andy Irons film? Because we understand the tragedy. We understand what happened. Look, we all read the Outside Magazine article. We know what went down. I think the true story is kind of what Chaz is touching on, which is these industry doors getting slammed in your face when you're trying to just ask get honest answers to honest questions rather than you know we're not necessarily mud raking but you know did you or did you not do these things you know whatever the questions are and you're not even getting an answer you're getting a you know talk to my lawyer yeah and that seems like whoa what are you hiding right you know and and i think that's where chaz and i haven't read the book yet but i imagine chaz is like is this even worth it? Like, this is just such a joke that why am I even in this so-called trade of surf journalism? I And you and I have spoken. I don't even think there is a such thing as yeah. the term surf journalism. Yeah. It's, and there can't be because it's, as you mentioned, so insular and so um, nepotistic. I don't even know if that's a word, but it's, it's so um, in, in, incestuous. incestuous. Yeah, It's just everybody knows everyone, so everyone's protecting everyone's scene and you can't do a piece unless you're going to write for the New York Times or Outside Magazine about it. Have you ever been reprimanded for broadcasting and publishing anything? Yeah, occasionally, you know. But look, I'm just as guilty. I'm the first one to go, oh, shit, you know what? I can't talk about this. You've, <laughs> because you've scooped or canned a story, spiked a story because... Not a story, but... Um, I mean, you and I have off the air said, you know what? Let's not talk about that True. today because... We're too close to that situation to discuss it. Yeah, and and it's our livelihood. And yeah. I, so I get I get both sides of the equation, you know, um, which is why I wonder if we do in fact reside on a valid and cogent culture, or if it's just all one big commercial entity that could go away with a socialist revolution. You know, like mm -hmm. does culture exist after capitalism? Yeah, I I've definitely been. Um, gotten negative feedback about the way that you and I, or maybe just me on my own have discussed certain topics and news stories, got negative feedback from the industry. Like, Whoa, dude, why are you talking crap? You know? Um, but what I've learned from it is it's actually okay. It, it requires me to be better at what I'm doing. Like you can critically analyze something and be articulate about it without being rude. You know, yeah. like you don't need to be rude in your analysis of things. Right. And if you are critical um, and articulate, I find that the person who is you're speaking of generally can understand that and hear what you're saying. Unless, you don't think so? Well, no, I was just thinking of your conversation with uh, with Todd Richards, the snowboarder. I was just, Ask Tony Hawk. He'll tell you it's a 540. I just That's argued. You just throw your hands in there and go, um, okay, I'm out. I just argued with Chris Cote this morning on Instagram about it again. I loved your post, by the way. You got to check. Is it the Surf Splendor yeah, Instagram? Yeah, yeah. Go to the Surf Splendor Instagram. David put up a pretty clever. But to answer your question, I used to put like, when Billabong and Quicksilver went public and, and the internet was just new and I was the online editor at Surfer Magazine, I would put stock like there would be like a headline in the business journal billabong stock drops 20 percent, and i'd be like oh that seems like industry news and i would put it up on the website and i'd like 20 minutes later i'd get a call from rick irons the publisher going dude take that down i just got a call from the guys at billabong they're super pissed why are you putting it you know or one of whoever it was that was my boss would call me and tell me to take it off the website yeah because they're threatening to 
pull, pull out, you know, whatever. You know, yeah. it's like, this is in the business journal. It's in the Wall Street right. Journal that I grabbed this article. Why can't I put it on Surfer Magazine's website, you know? Yeah. And that's where you start to realize, okay, there's no surf journalism because it's all this, basically, but it's a marketing machine for the industry. I so think if you take the industry away, do we have a culture? And I, the answer is yes, we do. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Like, that is how it runs. But that's how all news runs. <laughs> like, all news is in bed with well, especially now more than ever capitalism and yeah. four main companies you no, know what i mean no doubt about it like no doubt about it so it's naive to think that surf journalism is any different than journalism at large no but you're right but there is some level of of like it's really just, good reporting from the new york times i'm not saying it's not biased in some way or it's not framed in the way that the owners of the newspaper want it to be framed that's for sure, but there is good investigative journalism. Of course, there is that gets put out there through, but especially now, like through Vice, through other, you know, the internet's been great about opening up these avenues. It um, has. It's democratized. The Wall it a Street lot. Journal does. You know, of course, there's going to be slanted more to the right, and New York Times is going to be slanted more to the left. But I would urge everyone to to get uh, to buy subscriptions to both of those newspapers just for the sake of keeping the concept of journalism somewhat sort of alive you know i get on, both voices honestly i i'm not even bothered that it's all run through their own respective filters i'm past the point of being bothered by it i should say yeah. like i understood that a long time ago right, right. and now i understand right. that every bit of information i read or receive from any side is run through a filter right and that's okay i get yeah, it i'm yeah, not I, yeah. I understand that's the world that we're living in now yeah. But you have to be wildly naive to believe wholeheartedly without any grain of salt what anybody says. Well, the great, any media the great says. philosophical question, what is truth? Exactly. Who knows? Exactly. I certainly know in my most intimate personal relationships where there's only two people perceiving a given scenario we see it entirely differently you and i exactly <laughs> Fuck you. i would no i would not argue that this is my most intimate relationship between two human beings oh, good. this one is different <laughs> but you know what i mean so even when it's just one-on-one -on -one, yeah. two sides are entirely differently so yeah. once you add a third party and a hundred parties and of course it's different so it's insanity that people even argue about what is what you know, it's it just understand insanity. that we view it differently. Um, Scott. Yeah. What else do you got? Well, Kelly Slater. His foot injury? No. Has a new air section at Surf Ranch. Oh, I know. How rad. Albie Lair and Josh Kirk were called up and flown in on a first class, pri first class private jet, apparently, and were asked to consult and help build this new air section. Yep. And I specifically remember it was either Josh or Albie said, this is a perfect wave all the way until you get to the intersection where you get to fly. And so is that enough? Is that enough unknown? Yeah, is that going to be enough unknown for you, David? Remember we argued yeah. what we really want is like in a perfect world, we kind of want the air section to just pop up where the surfer doesn't know it's coming. You know, we where you don't get a lot of time to be thinking because I think it's going to get formulaic. Yeah, that's what we... We thought we wanted the perfect wave. We realize the perfect wave only has value when it is unpredictable, when it shows up spontaneously, as does the air section, as does all these things. So um, you're right. Adding the air section 
won't solve the problem, but it'll get us closer to the answer that we've been begging for. Um, Albie did say that it's not finalized yet. There's they've they have not reached the capacity of what that wave can do and the machine can do and all the programming. So they're still adjusting it, but they've made great strides for a great air section. And he said that eventually when they get it dialed in, you will be able to do double backflips on it. You'll be able to do uh, double spins on it. Like it's going to provide a, a great, great uh, testing ground for practicing all of the gymnastic elements of aerial surfing. I think what's going to happen is that what's already happened, it, it the more that, we focus on a perfect wave the more we realize that John Severson was wrong all along in the very first issue of Surfer Magazine in the back when he said, look, we can all go on the search for the perfect wave. He sort of set that ethos for everyone that we're on this search for the perfect wave. And the more that we now have the perfect wave, the we realize and we see events like Rio's where we're like, thank God it's not perfect. The journey is... The, Even beyond the, the journey, just perfect waves aren't really the ideal anymore. Like right. we thought they were and we chased it forever. And now we're like, Oh, you know what? The little flaw is what makes it so beautiful. Yeah. Um, I think it'll be interesting. I, first of all, Albie layer, Albie layer and Joel Tudor are my two favorite people in surfing right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because of their Instagram accounts. I feel like Albie um, just puts everything out there. Like he was complaining vocally three months ago about never getting an invite to the wave (laughs) ranch and then posted something two weeks ago going, Hey, I lost all my contacts and I've gotten like eight text messages from people claiming to be Kelly Slater inviting me to the wave pool. I don't know if my friends are just effing with me or if one of these is actually Kelly Slater and then we get the reveal now that it, one of them was Kelly Slater. And not only is he inviting you to surf the wave pool, he's inviting you to help engineer part of its future. Um, so I just love that he puts it all out there. I disagree with a lot of what he says and argues about. Yeah. And he's actually inarticulate and rife with spelling errors and all that, which makes me love him more. It's like endears me to him. Um, he's like the imperfect wave. So <laughs> he is like the imperfect wave. So I love that about Albie. And of course, um, I like watching him surf, but I think it, it highlights that surfers are the worst in that we just complain. We forever asked for the perfect wave, asked for a predictability and a man-made wave and all that. And as soon as it hits, we start complaining about how it's too perfect, you know? <laughs> yeah. And now that they're fixing it to do this, we're going to complain about all the other ways. I'm already like, complaining. Yeah, of course. <laughs> no. So it really highlights the surfers are the worst thing. It does. We are the worst. Because it's such a great wave. David and I had, as many of you know, we got to go ride it. And, and we thank Kelly profusely. And any of our um, distaste with, with the wave now doesn't mean we don't want to be invited back and surf it again. It's insane. Oh, no. It's, it's such a fun wave. Man. Oh, it's a blast to surf. Just not sure about watching it over and over and over. But we'll see. Maybe, maybe we're wrong. And, you know, frankly, we haven't seen the Waco wave under the competitive spotlight. So that too can just be like, the thing is you kind of know what the wave's going to do at pipe. You kind of know what the wave's going to do at Chopu. I mean, you kind of know, and those don't really bore us, but you just don't know when that wave's going to come. Right. By the way, I got an email from somebody who said, um, just got an offer to hop on with a private rental of the Slater wave pool. Four G's 
for 25 waves. Four grand. So I guess they're renting it out. Maybe that's so a day. He, he's a, do you want to pay four grand right now? Is no, that no, what no. he's saying? You he's get, he's questioning to... whether or not he should jump on board. So he goes, oh, four grand for, four 25? Grand for 25 waves. So he said, um, if he split it up between his buddies, the number of guys that were coming, it'd be about 150 bucks a wave. The thing is, you want to go and surf that wave. You want to do it. You you want to. It's a, it's a bucket list thing, I think. It was. It, it's like I said. It it's one of the highlights of my surf career, along with walking down the cave at Ulu and getting spat out of the barrel at Puerto and blah blah blah. All the other things, right? Yeah. So I think you want to do it if you can do it. If you can, if you've got that type of money and it's not, you know, you're not, you know, spending your mortgage on it. I think you should do it. I think everyone should surf that wave one time. Now. And if you wait and hope the price drops, right. I get it. You yeah. know, because I Which think the will. price will drop. It will, for yeah. sure. And that's what I said. I go, dang, that sounds so expensive now. Um, but the whole experience is worth it, which is kind of what your point is. I said, say if you pay six hundred bucks for the day, six hundred buck price tag for the one day at Surf Ranch, you only get four waves throughout the day, but the experience as a whole might be worth it, you know? Yeah. Um, especially if you have that whole place to yourself when you're a group of guys, which I don't know, that's not what he said. four ways for 600 bucks? That's what you're saying? That it was it comes down to when they broke down the price. Right. Again, four grand for 25 waves. And then right. they figure we'll bring this many guys. That'll be 150 bucks a wave. Right. I see. Um, hmm. But I hadn't seen that pricing yet. So I'm not sure if you have to just email Surf Ranch and then they send you the pricing or what. But. Huh. All right, well, Scott, we're winding out, winding down on time. Do you want to get into um, musty moment, Duke and Cook, or do you have any other topics? So, my musty moment is I just watched the trailer. <laughs> You're laughing at me. You're like, okay. dude, way to prepare. <laughs> I just watched the trailer for. There's two things that I want to see. I have not seen, but I don't know if they're my musty moments or not. But I want to see this thing with Taj. What's it? It's called Cult or something? Cult of Freedom. Cult of Freedom. Did you see the rights in that? Mm -hmm. That thing looks sick. So Joe G is the filmmaker for Globe, and everybody's been anticipating his next release. Yeah. Um, Have you seen this? Yeah. Okay, it's good, right? Yeah. I think I saw a bunch of clips of it. I know I saw a bunch of clips of it. Well, he's been in, traditionally, he's done um, 45 minute feature length surf films for Globe. Yeah. And so everybody was anticipating his next release. And six months ago, he's like, I'm going to do my next release in parts. So each, what would be a segment in the film will just go out as an individual surf part, which um, people are like, oh, that's innovative. And I'm thinking, no, everybody does that all the time. That's what surf films have become is a three to five minute segment, you know, but whatever, everybody's signing off on it as being Mm -hmm. like part of one large project so um i think dion agius's piece was the first one a few months back and now taj this is his part well the the right hander that he's surfing is just mental that blue green gorgeous yeah super spit out of the barrel so cult of freedom with taj it's great great to see taj by the way he's disappeared off the radar since retirement yeah had a kid and there's this dusty pain thing that's coming out for free i think on surfer magazine tomorrow which is Basically, his road to recovery after the horrendous wipeout at Pipeline where he had some major head trauma. That guy's had more road to recoveries than anybody I know. Yeah, I know. It sucks. Yeah, it does. And he's fit. That's what's crazy about it. 
you know? Yeah. He takes care of himself, but he's still, I guess that's what happens. He's relentless. That's what this is called. Relentless. Mm. Clever. Mm. Uh, my must see moment is from my new favorite person, Strider. Strider's Instagram account has become one of the best Instagram accounts. He's living the life of Riley. Um, absolutely dream life. And his, Positivity is effusive. So this is why I like his Instagram. Instagram has kind of, become, obviously it's Insta. It's it's meant to be bite-sized snapshots of things. He's helped redefine it by giving you actually really detailed insights into things. I'm going to give you one story from Strider, Scott. Yes. And you could tell me whether or not you're abiding by this. Yes. He says, true story. Okay, so the image was a cover shot of Surfer Magazine with him getting blown out of a cannon at Pipe and soul arching his way out. He said, true story. In 1993, Rick Massey got me a meeting with Quicksilver and Danny Kwok, the VP of marketing. I left his office in tears. Kwok said, I don't need another California kid going to Hawaii, thinks he's going to be a hero at Pipeline. The team manager, Robbie Todd, went back in, got me 500 bucks, a plane ticket to Hawaii, and some Quicksilver gear and stickers and said, good luck, man. Shortly thereafter, I was living on garage floors on the North Shore. One day, I was sitting underneath the bushes watching 200 guys in the water on a perfect day at Pipe. I complained about how crowded it was, and the guy next to me said, dude, it only takes one wave. So I went out there. 150 people sat on first reef, so I paddled out towards second reef where I ran into Noah Johnson, and he said that there was actually a wave here kind of coming in halfway between first and second reef. So I started paddling towards that position, and sure enough, a wave came right to me. Cut to two months later, I'm still sleeping on the floor of a garage at Alex Cox's house at Rocky Point. Alex hands me a new issue of Surfer Magazine. I flip it over, and there I was on the cover being spit out of that wave. My childhood dream came true that day. I cried tears of joy for an hour looking at that cover. Don't let people break your spirit. Follow your dreams and make it happen on your own accord. No one is going to give you anything. It's up to you. That's great. That's cool. That That is awesome. And I agree with you. He does. uh, There is some sincere positivity that comes from all of his insta stuff it's all good and it does look like he's living the life and good for him you know what good for him dude I'm stoked for the guy completely stoked for the guy i'm glad that he didn't listen to my shaming my public shaming here on the podcast four years ago when look, he started we doing commentary help, we were just making constructive criticism oh that's right maybe he got better because of my well, shaming. i don't know about that but you know look you and i get emails all day long about you know how we could do things better and we try to do things better and yeah. I don't think you were. Okay, good. There was no malice intended. We're just like, hey, make the production better. Yeah. Strider needs to tighten this deal up, and he has. And so yeah. more power to him. Well, his Instagram account is great for tidbits like that, but also he's um, he'll stream live from the contest venue. Now before the event starts. It's a little. basically know what's going to happen. He'll yes. kind of tell you what's going to happen. If I'm waiting for an event to start, and it's 30 minutes before the call time, I'll pull up his feed and look for his live stream knowing he's behind the scenes showing the waves, saying what people are saying, like yep. whether or not they're going to run, what the tide's doing. Yep. He'll get Joe Turpel to do a little freestyle rap. Yep. So it's radical. He'll show his coffee. They'll, it's good. Yeah, right. Strider's the guy. It is very good. So must-see moment, Strider's Instagram. It's called Strider's World. Yeah, I think that it's hard not to, to be stoked for his success. You know what I mean? 
He's a pretty, gen- he's a very genuine and sincere person, and he means well. There's not a mean bone in his body. He's a pretty cool guy. Have you seen? I don't his- think he likes me too much, but why not? I kind of was a dick to him once, and I think in person, we went on a trip together once, and I was just kind of a selfish. There was one situation at the airport where I like jumped in line in front of him with my passport so I could get a better seat or something like that. I, it, it was stupid. It, it was totally my fault. I mean, I don't, I don't blame him for just going, what a dick. Yeah. I, I pulled a dick move and I apologize now on the air. Sorry, Strider. Well, um, have you seen his house in Malibu? He's hooked up. He's got a killer scene. He's got a beautiful family, beautiful kids, a beautiful wife. His he, house is so amazing. He's styling. And, and he like has, I said, more, I'm stoked for the guy. He deserves it. And he has this. He charges um, too. Yeah. And he and rips. Totally. He has this Kevin Ansel mural yeah. that when he was with Quicksilver, he hired Kevin Ansel to come paint this thing for a Quicksilver store, I think in Santa Monica maybe or Venice. Yeah. And then they closed the store eventually and they were just going to get rid of the mural. So he had them remove it and he put it on the big wall of this kind of barn style house that he has in Malibu and it's freaking radical. Cool. It's like really, really rad. So anyways, guys live in the dream. Uh, Duke and Kook. My Duke, Adriana DeSouza. You know why, Scott? Adriano's he's your Duke? He's my Duke. I do not know why. Well, let me just read it rather than try to explain it. Quote, a world champion, a world surfing champion crashed into a taxi while running, (laughs) while running, while running late for his heat at this year's Bell's Rip Curl Pro. So his car, he crashed into a a taxi taxi. with his car? Yes. Police allege Adriana DeSouza was illegally driving in an emergency lane at Bell's Beach when he collided with the front of a taxi, which was performing a legal U-turn. The incident on Easter on Easter Monday this year happened soon before DeSouza crashed out of the event during his third round loss to Connor Coffin. The 31-year-old was in such a rush for his heat that he did not stop and exchange details after the collision. DeSouza was not in court yesterday and there was no lawyer acting on his behalf. Instead, the 2015 world champ sent an email to the court explaining that he was currently in Brazil and that his Australian visa had expired. He has been charged by police with careless driving and failing to keep left to the center of the road. Um, The senior constable, Kylie Jane, said, at the time of the alleged offense, the pro surfers were given instructions instructions by contest organizers organizers that if running late they would be allowed to go on the wrong side of the road within a designated area this happened outside of that designated area he's my duke for charging it now that is commitment he's my duke for just being like screw legal all ramifications of what just happened i'm out of here i gotta make my heat to go lose to connor coffin that's cool so i'm all for it adriano you're my duke for your tireless that's the grit i was talking about earlier crashing into a taxi and fleeing right. the scene of the crime that's that's commitment do you have a duke yeah well my duke is will and cardoso for grinding it through kung and fu panda kung fu panda just a mean ass panda powerful panda not the soft cuddly type but just a powerful uh but yeah his win at uluwatu actually the margaret river pro uluwatu pro uluwatu ct right you want to know who my kook is? Yes. Everybody who has not yet named the historic cloud break swell from May 27th. We have the code red swell from the past. Right. The Vulcan pipe, 
pi or the Volcom Fiji swell, the Bruce swell where he got that wave. What what's this one, dude? The Ramon swell. No, no, this this is the Kelly's broken foot swell. <laughs> right? It's, nobody. How is that's nobody? That's the best way to remember it. It's the swell where Kelly had a broken foot or something. The Kelly's not broken foot swell. I mean, I guess it's the Ramon Navarro swell, right? Because he got the wave of the day. Makua's wipeout swell. It's the Ramon could have got deeper swell. <laughs> the shit the is stalled swell. The the thing on TMZ, there was a piece on TMZ where they interviewed Makua versus, via FaceTime. And yeah. Makua basically admitted what what I said yeah. was that if you're going to get in the barrel, his brother told him, he goes, dude, if you're going to get in the barrel, you better get deep. Don't bother. And he was kind was of calling out Ramon. He was, he was, he was. Makua was explaining why he wiped out. It, it was a little bit of a cop-out for me. He was like going, oh, the reason I wiped out is because I tried to go deep. <laughs> was what it was. I know. But, but it was like under the auspice of my brother said, if you're going to get in the barrel, yeah. you better get deep or why bother? And so that's what I did. And I took it as, frankly, Ramon Navarro, you should have got deeper. Yeah. I look. It's like hilarious. I said, it's hilarious. I could never do what those guys are doing, even in my prime, which is a long time ago. All I'm saying is that, as a surfer, when you watch that, there's a little voice that pops up that goes, "Oh, he probably could have got a little deeper." That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying he should have. I'm not. I'm just saying he could have. Okay, he here's, probably could have got a little deeper. I love it. Let me ask you this: When you're riding a nine foot board. Yeah, you can Actually, stall. was he? He didn't paddle that. No, he towed. He towed in. Can you stall on that thing? Yeah, on a wave sure. that size. Yeah, for sure. You think so? Yeah, it's all about positioning. I I don't know. Yeah, Ross Clark Jones can. I don't know, dude. No, you can. Ross, I've never seen Ross Clark out there. Cloud break. I've seen him surfing other big waves, but you're young. I know. All right. One thing I loved about the Makua thing, um, TMZ titled that piece makua rothman calls surf crash a thrashing of a lifetime surf crash yeah i love it <laughs> i love it when mainstream media says stuff like soup and you know they call, what's a surf crash? he was sliding in the soup a surf crash yeah so anyways uh that's the, the name coop, of the swell the, the surf crash whatever swell. Has named, okay perfect the surf crash swell is the that swell that crashed the surf crash break. swell is not it doesn't really flow off the tongue. I think the should have stalled swell <laughs> should have been deeper swell. <laughs> should have stalled is all right. Ramon could have got deeper swell. <laughs> it's kind of send us your thoughts. What are your thoughts? Barrel dodger this? swell. Ooh, the barrel dodging swell. Got to say it in Spanish. <laughs> this is wrong. Going down even... a whole different rabbit hole. Uh, uh, okay, well, spitpodcast.com. Until next time. Yeah, you can check the next Spit Podcast at spitpodcast.com. What what should they expect next from the Boardroom Podcast? Well, I'm hoping to do one before Chris Christensen, but... Um, did you give up on Aaron James? I did. You did? I did. <laughs> My wife's like, you got to read the book. I'm like, uh I kind of... after I for, First of all, oh, you kind man. of already did it, right? So it's kind of like, I don't really want to do... I don't think listeners want to listen to another Aaron James interview, frankly. I really don't. You know what I mean? and yeah so I you didn't get, want to I, read the book I, I is all it came down to I didn't want that's to read all the book. it came down you know to. what i would love to have read the book maybe i'll interview chaz do you think that would be fun 
Definitely. If I read that the would book, be great. I'm going to read the book and interview Chaz. That would be I'm, I'm so I'm going to reach great. out to Chaz. I'm going to read the book and interview Chaz. That would be great. I would okay. love to hear that. Let's do that. That's hopefully coming up next. Because Chaz would be a great interview. I would love to interview Chaz. Yeah. Yeah. So you could. Okay. Yeah. I will interview Chaz. Perfect. Perfect. I hope. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Scott, always a pleasure, dude. Surfingheritage.org is the website for this home studio. Check them out. They're the Smithsonian of surfing. Needessentials.com is where we get our wetsuits, and they support the show. Here's the deal. Everybody who listens needs a wetsuit. Everybody needs sunglasses. We're not asking that you break the bank, but we're just saying when you need those things, support those brands, and they'll support this show. That keeps us in business. By the way, the boardroom podcast needs sponsors oh, am i allowed yeah, to say yeah. that of on course our show? solicit the boardroom podcast needs sponsors so if you're out there and you want to be a part of what it is i'm doing these interviews that i'm doing that are about waves and the equipment to ride them with and all the different facets of that travel surfboard shapers surf whatever um reach out you know what i'll tell you straight out yeah Pod or advertisers that I've been working with since day one, there's not been negative feedback. Everybody's like, it's less expensive than traditional digital mark advertising, and it's trackable ROI. We can give you a promo code and see exactly where things come from. So everybody's been psyched. And Good. as you know, we are straight to the core. Like our listeners are core surfers. Oh yeah, this is a core they use mark. surf product and yeah. they're highly invested in this thing. So Absolutely. advertisers get on board. Do it. So Spy, by the way, when you're ordering those sunglasses, use our promo code for that exact reason. Promo code is podcast. Okay. Um, my Insta boardroom show. At boardroom show. At boardroom show. At and Surf the podcast Splendor. is, and then Davis is at Surf Splendor. And then the podcast for the boardroom show can be found at boardroomshow.com. Can it be found on Surf Splendor, I hope? Yeah. Oh, good. So just go to surfsplendor.com and get all your podcast needs filled. We link over to the boardroom and all that. Yeah. So. Okay. All right, Until next time, adios and aloha.